Heavenly Father, I pray for I pray for Sophia and I pray for Hannah and I pray for what they're going through right now. Lord, I ask that you would draw yourself closer to them and that you draw them right into your lap, that they would know that you are the God of peace, the God of comfort, and the God of healing. And Lord, whatever is also going on, um, if Ethan has it or where it comes from or whatever, Lord, I pray that you would inter- intercede into all of this, that you would show them that the only, the only hope, the only comfort, the only peace there is, is in you. And so, Lord, just ask that right now in your son's name. Amen. All right, so um, a few years ago, um, before COVID, uh, we, my family started doing this thing every summer at the beginning of June where we would go up and we would go to my, what my wife calls gun camp for a week. And the first year I did this, it was just me and my dad and my, um, my brother-in-law. And when we, went, when we went up there, my dad said, hey, for your birthday, because my birthday's in June, um, I'll get you a shirt. I said, okay. He's like, pick whatever shirt you want. So I got this really nice blue um, polo shirt, and it's pretty lightweight. I, I like lightweight things because we live in the desert. Um, and so it has this nice little, it says front side on it. That's a facility we went through. Um, it's just really nice. Well, um, every time I wear it, I always get some sort of interaction with someone. Someone will say, oh, it's front sight or this. Well, one day I was in Phoenix at the Best Buy. I believe it was the one off of, I think it's Lynchfield over there. And I was in there and I was just looking. I had to go in real quick for something. And I was looking at the products, and behind me, someone goes, excuse me, can you help me with this product? And the reason why is because this is a blue polo, and if you've ever been to Best Buy, they wear blue blue polos. And so she just starts asking me these questions, and I turn around, and she looks up, an older lady, and she goes, oh, I'm sorry, because she realized, for one thing, I don't wear the polo tucked in. So that's a giveaway. But um, she saw the emblem. She goes, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean, I thought you worked here, obviously. Um, and so we, I got her someone that could actually help her because sometimes you can't find people in places. And so we found, we tracked one down. We found them and they, she got taken care of. Um, have you ever been misidentified like that? Someone thought you worked at somewhere? And I get that a lot, especially like in grocery stores, um, especially with shorter people. Um, they'll say, do you work here? Because I need something from the top shelf. Um, yeah. Um, but there was another time, just a, a few months ago, I was at the church and someone came in and they asked if the church would be willing to participate in something. Um, and I said, well, uh, I'll take, I'll, let me think about it. And I'll talk with my elders about it. And they said, well, and they had this thing I've heard before and they said, Uh, well, aren't you the pastor? And the idea behind that is you should just be able to make a decision and people live with it, right? Um, And I said, no, because yes, I'm the pastor, but I don't just decree things and people live by them. Um, We try really hard in our church to be an elder-run church, and there are times when I have to make those decisions, but I try very hard to go to the elders who are elected by the membership to bank decisions of the church and so but this person had the idea that well the pastor is the dictator of the church right and that's not true 
But there's these ideas of misunderstanding a role or misidentifying people, and that's what we're going to talk about today. Because Jesus was misidentified. Alright, so if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 4, and we're going to look at the first 11 verses. Now, I've preached on this uh, several times. In fact, I preached on this a couple, uh, several months ago, um, just in this passage. And there is a lot to this passage. In fact, I, I figured we could spend at least four weeks and not get everything out of it. Okay, But as we get into the passage... Um, we're going to just do one week in it, okay? So we're going to have a lot of stuff today, but I hope we move pretty fast because the goal of these sermon series is to just look at the big themes, right? We're just looking at the big themes that are built from chapter to chapter to chapter, okay? And so we don't dive too deep into everything, trying to mine the scriptures for everything it has, but we just try to see it for the big picture, but as we get into it, let's talk about what we've already talked about within the last three chapters. So we're in week, this is week seven, so we spent six weeks in three chapters, okay? That's why it's going to take us over two years to get through Matthew, all right? Because there's so much going on, and if we're not careful, all that was set up so we can move a little bit quicker through the rest of it so you can see all these things. And so far, the main purpose or the main themes of the first three chapters of Matthew is really this, that we identify who Jesus is. And who is he? He's the prophesied Messiah, right, that will take the, uh, of the Old Testament, right? He's the prophesied Messiah of the Old Testament. And as we saw throughout this, so we see things like Jesus is um, a king like David. We see he's a prophet like Moses, okay? So we see those parallels. That's the Messiah part of it. And then, as we're going through, I, I keep saying, look for the layers, right? Go back and see the layers. And so we see things like Emmanuel, God with us. We see the, the, the Old Testament scriptures that are quoted, that, especially about John the Baptist. Okay, so when we looked at John the Baptist, we saw that the scripture that says that he is the one that leads, right, that he's the forerunner of the Messiah, okay, that scripture, if we go back into it, talks about the forerunner being not just the, the forerunner of the Messiah, but the forerunner of Yahweh. Okay, so that um, helps us understand who this Jesus is, that he's not just the Messiah, Okay, in the long line of messiahs. Okay, and we talked about what that meant. The Messiah word is just someone who's anointed by God to do something. So David's a messiah. Moses is a messiah. Uh, the judges were messiahs. But the messiah is what we're talking about with Jesus. That he's just not one of those average messiahs. Okay, but he is more. He is the God come down. All right, so that is the big thing. Because when we get to the end of chapter 3, we have God the Father speak and say, this is my son. And that's one of those clues that plays into this whole understanding of who Jesus is, that he is the God come down. Okay, But when we get that, we immediately go into chapter 4. And there's a reason behind that. Okay, So we get the proclamation by God the Father that Jesus is the unique son and then we go into chapter 4, all right? So we're going to go into chapter 4, and in this chapter, 
I want to give you four aspects, okay? Four aspects to the chapter, two of which we're just going to briefly hit, okay? And the reason why is because, again, there's a lot in this passage, and so I want to give you the first two aspects, and my, this is on top of our usual challenges. This is homework, okay? Go back and look at these two aspects and really dive into them because there's a lot there that we can't cover because they're the, they're the layered parts, okay? They're not the overall things, but they're the layered parts, all right? And then we're going to talk about one aspect that we're going to hit on briefly because we're going to talk about it in a few weeks when we get to chapter 5, all right? And then there's the last aspect, which is the overarching theme of this, and that's where we're really going to look. All right? Sound good? Well, too bad. We're doing it anyways. All right. So here we go. So the, let's read through the passage, and then we'll come back and do those aspects. All right? Chapter 4 in Matthew, verse 1. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to, a holy, to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, Throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you. They will lift you up on their hands so that you, won't, you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, It is also written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and, and angels came and attended him. So that first word, then, that is a connecting word. Right, teacher? Right? That's one of those connecting words. These are some little things I know about English. Okay? Then means that something preceded it. This all connects back to that moment where God the Father says, this is my son. Okay? The Father shows us this is the identity of who Jesus is. Everything before this is focusing on who that identity is. And now we're going into a passage that says what the identity is. But let's talk about some of these first two aspects. Okay, So out of our four aspects, we're going to be looking at the first two. And the first one is just let's talk about the 40 days. Okay, so he's 40 days in the wilderness. Jesus goes out and says the Spirit leads him. Okay, so this is not just a happenstance type of thing. This is purposeful. The Spirit leads him out there for this moment of temptation. Okay, so this is really important. So he goes out there and it tells us it's 40 days. Okay, usually in Scripture, 40 days of fasting is a, a supernatural occurrence. Okay, try fasting for 40 days. Okay, yeah, you start with one, all right? Start with a meal, okay? That's where you start with fasting, and then you move on to there, all right? Any of you ever have to fast for a meal, and you always fast, you always get your, for like a hospital, you always fast the night before, after you go to sleep, and get your appointment first thing in the morning, right? Right. Because then you can go for lunch. Right. Yeah, I, I'll, wait, I'll fast all the night, 
I'll fast at night, right? That makes sense, right? That's what we always do, right? Yeah. So this 40 days of fasting, really important. Why? One of the big things that we've been seeing throughout the first three chapters is this connection with Moses. Remember, we spent a whole week pointing out connections with Moses. This is one of those connections. There's two parts to it. The first part is the whole 40 years, okay? So this is Jesus going to the wilderness, and it's parallel with the 40 years that the Israelites were in the, were in the um, wilderness, right? So they were walking around for 40 years because they messed up, and now we have Jesus paralleling that, paralleling that um, with the 40 days. But it's not just that. So for you to go back, look at Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers, okay? That's the whole 40 years in those three books. First two are two years, and the rest are the other 38, all right? So Numbers is the 38 years. Um, but it's also Moses. It's a parallel with Moses himself and his 40 days. He goes up onto the mountain. This is Exodus 34. Moses goes up on the mountain, and he fasts for 40 days, all right? So this idea of Jesus being connected with um, Israel and Moses is right at the beginning. So it's that Messiahship again, okay? So we're already understanding as we're going into this is identity stuff. We have the proclamation from the Father, this is my son, and where do we go straight into? What's the first thing that, the first imagery we get? This is the Messiah. Why? Because he's being connected again back into Moses, right? This is the prophet after Moses, right? So we're going to leave that there. That's one of your homework assignments. Go deeper into that. There's a lot more there we can't cover. The second one is the temptations themselves, all right? So the temptation themselves, this is huge because this plays into what Paul eventually will write about in Romans, Okay? The temptation plays into this whole biblical understanding of sin and the walk that we as humanity were created to walk and failed at. Okay? And Paul picks this up in Romans. So in Romans chapter 5, Paul has this, and it's actually throughout War Romans, but we're picking up in chapter 5, this idea that Jesus is the second Adam. Meaning that where Adam fell, Jesus achieved. Okay? And so the temptation of Adam, and he fails, what does Jesus do? He overcomes. And so where Adam was supposed to, you know, follow God's command and do what he said, and what, and what does Adam do? He doesn't fulfill his role. So there's this whole thing. Yes, Eve took the fruit first, but Adam was supposed to be there protecting her and doing all these things, right? And what does Jesus do? Same thing. The devil comes to Jesus. He tempts him. And what does Jesus do? It is written. He points back to what God has said. What did Adam and Eve do? Eve did it, but she didn't follow through. She, pointed, she points back. And, there's, and here's another thing. Go back and... And read what is said by God in chapter 2. What Eve says in chapter 3. Compare those two. Alright? Because that's really important too. There's so much here. 
I'd love to go deeper, but we, we can't for today, all right? So go back, read chapter 2 where God says, don't eat of the tree, and read what Eve says and how she says what God said. It's different, all right? Spoiler, all right? So, and then see what Jesus does. He says it is written, and he points back. And he does it three times. That's important too, okay? But we can't get all that. All right, but this is what Paul says. I want to bring us to what Paul says, okay? Paul says this in Romans 14. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even, at, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command, as did Adam, who is a pattern of the one to come. And he's saying Adam is a pattern of the one to come, all right? But the gift is not like the trespass, for if the many died by the trespass of the one man, talking about Adam, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? Dropping down to verse 18, it says, Consequently, just as the one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so when Adam sinned, everyone entered into death. Okay? So also one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people. That's the cross. Right? For just as through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man, the, man, the many will be made righteous. Here's Adam fells. Everyone enters into sin and death. Jesus overcomes, and it proves that his, the cross later on is righteous because Jesus did the righteous thing here where Adam felled. And so now Jesus is on that pathway to the cross. And so this is really important stuff. So take those two aspects, go home this week, really dive into this, compare these things to each other because there's a lot more there, okay? The next one, the third one, it might seem like we're going pretty fast because we are, all right? So the third one is this phrase, it is written, okay? The phrase is written. This is a huge thing. We talked about this a few months ago. We talked about Jesus in John chapter 1. John says Jesus is the Word. Okay? And throughout the Old Testament, we see, um, we, um, we've talked about this before, the pre-incarnate Jesus. Right? Don't worry about those words. It's just Jesus before he was Jesus. Okay? He was still him, but not... Okay, there's a whole thing here. All right? um, but it's the eternal person of the Son. Okay? And we see this throughout the Old Testament. And so, when we get to this point, where Jesus says, it is written, why does he say that? What? It gives us a pattern. It gives us. It's an example for us. Because later on, in a couple of weeks, we'll see Jesus changes his phraseology. Okay? So that's really important stuff. So we're not going to go any further with that. Read ahead. All right? All right. But let's now, so I have, those are things for you guys to just chew on, all right? It's been three weeks since I got to talk to you. There's three things, three aspects for you, okay? I made it up. I was gone for three weeks. There's three weeks for you guys to have, and I just did it. See, I, I can preach within, what was that, 10 minutes, 15 minutes? Three weeks, there you go. <laughs> Maybe I should do that every week, right? <laughs> um, oh, yeah. <laughs> So I would. All right, so let's talk about, though, this overarching theme. What, what were you really focusing on? This idea of identity so that 
proclamation by the Father, He is my Son, right? This is my Son. And the then 40 days, the Messiahship, okay? And as we're going through this, these three temptations give us three points or three ideas here of this idea that we, or this idea that Jesus, that the devil's trying to get Jesus to be a different type of Messiah, right? A different identity. Let's walk through this. This first one. Okay, so if we go back to our text, the devil comes to him and says, if you are the son of God, again, what was the proclamation? This is my son. He's going after the identity of who Jesus is. If you are the son of God, um, tell these stones to become bread. All right? So if you, if you can do this, if you, this is who you truly are, this is what you could do. All right? Let's say Jesus took this. What would Jesus be at this point? Well, he wouldn't be righteous, right? He wouldn't fulfill what Adam said. He wouldn't actually be the Son of God. But there's more here. Well, he would have, yeah, he would be using his full divinity at that point. But this idea that, that Jesus would not just not be who that proclamation said he was, but then he would actually be functioning in a different type of messiahship at this point. What type of messiahship is that? It is a, the type that is a material-based messiah. Turn the, the rocks into bread. This is a material-based messiah. And so this idea that Jesus becomes the genie. Poof, what do you need? Right? Jesus, make these things into bread. We actually see this. We'll, we'll get to this point where um, if you're reading through the Gospels, you go into John, and John, Jesus starts talking about this bread imagery. And he tells the people, um, unless you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, that you have no, you can't be children of God, right? This whole idea. And it says people turned away because it was a hard teaching. Okay. Why? There's a lot of people that follow Jesus, and especially the Gospels tell us after he does some pretty crazy stuff, especially the feeding of the 5,000, as we'll see it, and the 4,000 in Matthew. Twice in Matthew, we're going to get feedings. And at the end, we'll see people turning away from Jesus when, they, when he doesn't provide what they want, even though he provides this huge miracles. They start turning away. Why? Because he is not, his main purpose is not the material stuff. That's a secondary purpose. And so for, for um, the devil to come to him and say, why don't you turn these rocks into, into bread, that is one part of what Jesus is there to do. But it's not the primary and if Jesus was to do that, he would no longer be the right Messiah. He would be a shadow of the true Messiah. The one that was there to take away the sins of the world. Now, I'm not saying that um, Jesus never takes, again, Jesus does take care of physical needs, right? We see that in the, 
the healings, we see that in the demon possessions, we see that um, with the feedings, we see this a lot. In fact, if we go to the end of Matthew in chapter 26, Jesus actually, not commands, but he implies that his followers are going to take care of needs, physical needs. Right. Yeah. Right. So there's a, a the last messiahship that we'll get to with the subservient part. Yeah. So there's there's a like I said there's a lot here, and we're just focusing on these bigger themes. Okay. So this is that first theme, but we can see this in the disciples and how the disciples work themselves out. So in Acts chapter three. Um, verses 3 and 8. This is a moment for there to be physical compensation, okay? So there's, the story is that there's this um, lame, um, this disabled person that's sitting there, right? And he is looking for people to give him physical support, right? With money, right? And so this is what happens in Acts chapter 3, verse 3. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Give me the physical support, um, and Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave his, his attention, expecting something from them. He's expecting the, the material possession. Then Peter said, silver and gold I do not have, but what I have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Walk. That's a huge moment. Because the material support is, is broken by the spiritual need. Right? There's spiritual needs that need to be met. And in this case, there is, I mean, this is even greater, right? This physical, and so there's a, I want to make a distinction here. The material Messiah is what the devil is calling Jesus to, okay? And yet we see here that God still cares about the physicality. It wasn't about the material possession of the coins, this guy needed something greater, right? He needed the walk. And so what does Peter say? Let me give you a couple of coins and then be on my way. And he says, I have something greater for you. This is all I have, and that's Christ. And he, he says, take him by the right hand. He helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them in the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. What was the greater need there? The walking, not the physical. Right. Yeah. To to do that material part, and this is this is the thing is if Jesus just is that material Messiah, that doesn't help us in the long run. Because we're still stuck. We're still stuck where we are. And like John just pointed out, he would have been stuck still, even with, his material, with the material still given to him. This is why we as Christians need to be very careful with our understanding of helping people. That yes, we are here to help where we can, but it's always to point to the real problem, the real condition. 
And so this is why we talk about, in this order, love by God, lifting up God, locating meeting others' needs. That's how it goes. And then where does it go after that? It's pointing people back to the life of God. Okay? So it's very much with this understanding that it's sur- the material needs have to be resp- surrounded by the understanding that this is a spiritual matter. There's a deeper thing that needs to happen. And so Jesus rejects the idea of being a, just a, mer- a material Messiah. All right? Let's go to the second one. In the second temptation, the devil he takes him up to the holy, holy city, and then he says, if you are the Son of God, up onto the temple, he says, throw yourself down for his written. He will command his angels concerning you. They will lift you up on their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. Now, this whole thing about him using scripture is just a part of Satan's work. Okay? But I want us to focus on this, this point. Where does he take him? To a very public place. This is the temple. What does he tell him to do? Throw yourself off. Now, when someone gets, I just um, was watching video clips and I saw Crocodile Dundee and there's a point in Crocodile Dundee where he's up on the ledge and someone's about to throw themselves off. If you ever watch movies, in a lot of these movies, when someone's up there to throw themselves off, everyone comes out. Okay, the watch. Okay? You know, maybe they're concerned, maybe they just want to see a splatter. Okay, I don't know what. But it's, they come out to watch this. For Jesus to throw himself off, that would be a public thing, very public thing. To see angels swooping down and grabbing Jesus, that would be a huge public thing. So what is saying calling Jesus to? Well, it's a sign to be glorified. He does it to say glorify yourself. Show who you really are then. But throughout the Gospels, we see this thing where Jesus is actually very secretive of who he is. In fact, I want to take us to Mark chapter 8. In Mark chapter 8, um, this, is, this is actually, if you follow Mark, we actually did this when we uh, went through Mark. Mark's whole thing leads up to, the first eight chapters leads up to this one question. And if you look at this, the rest of Mark changes. Everything leads up to this question, and everything changes at, the, at this pivot point, and it heads towards the cross, right? So this is what it says in Mark chapter 8, starting in verse 27. It says, Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked them, who do people say I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. But what about you? He asked, who do you say I am? This is the most important question for everything. For us as individuals, who do we say Jesus is? Okay. Peter answered, you are the Messiah. Okay. That's a huge revelation. Okay, huge thing. But then what's the next part? Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. Why? This is a huge moment that Peter finally realizes Jesus is the Messiah. But why? There's actually a lot of reasons why. I'm just going to give you one. Because the Messiah that most people were thinking about at this time was not the Messiah who Jesus came to be. They thought Jesus, that Messiah, that conquering king. 
Um, I'm going through a lot of um, early history of, of this time period right now in my own studies. And you wouldn't believe all the different veins of messiahship that were out there at this moment. But the most, the biggest one was this idea of a political messiah that was going to come in. And this is actually when we start looking at the, his disciples, one of them is called a zealot. That zealot was there because he really thought Jesus was the political messiah. And so this idea that Jesus is like, don't tell anyone this. Why? Because they have the wrong idea. And that's not who Jesus, so Jesus has to walk through this. So when someone realizes, oh my goodness, that's, he is the Messiah, it's a huge thing. It's bigger because they realize, wait a second, but he doesn't fit. He is the Messiah, but he doesn't fit my concept of the Messiah. And so it's a, it's a deeper thing. In fact, Jesus says, no one revealed this to you except the Father. And so this idea, this revelation, this Messiahship is huge. But if Jesus were just to walk out and say, you know, just boom, 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 just starts throwing off all these divine works, then that people would just follow that and not what Jesus was actually supposed to do, which was to go to the cross. Completely different Messiah at that point. And so what does Jesus do? He rejects it. Because that's not who he is. We get to the final one, and this is that subservient one. The final one, we go back, and it says this. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And all this I will give to you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. This is the subservient Messiah. This is the one where he's saying, bow under my feet. And, and uh, Jim has pointed this out before. This isn't a bluff by the devil. In fact, Paul talks about that the Satan is the the god of this world. This isn't a bluff. Satan can give him all these other dominions because they're his. And so this is actually a real offer. But this is what the devil does. I want us to go over to Revelation. In the book of Revelation, chapter 13, and I just want to pick up on a few different verses because I want you to see the pattern here. If you, we read the whole thing, you might not see the pattern. Okay, so we're going to read three verses. And in Revelation, Satan's called um, the, the dragon, the serpent of old. Okay, so there, that's where we have the connection. In verse 4, this is what it says. And it's, this is a future prophecy. It says, People worshipped the dragon because he had given authority to the beast. And they also worshipped the beast and asked, Who is like the beast? Who can wage war against it? Then we drop down to verse 8. All inhabitants of the earth will worship the beast, all whose names have not been written in the book's, uh, Lamb's book of life, the Lamb who was slain from the creation of the world. Dropping down to verse 12, it is exercised, it exercised, talking about the beast, all the authority of the first beast on its behalf and made the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast whose fatal wound had been healed. You know what's interesting in that passage? It says that the, the dragon gets worshipped and then so does the other two. And we're not going into all this, what it all means and everything. But just look at that. 
You have the dragon being worshipped, you have the first beast that's being worshipped, and then you have the second beast that's pointing to people to be worshipped, right? Does the devil care that the, that the first beast is getting worshipped? No, he sets it up so that first beast gets worshipped. Why? Because he gets worshipped from it. Why does the devil give Jesus the, or offers Jesus all these different places? He doesn't care that Jesus would get worshipped. Why? Because it takes the worship off of who really deserves it. The devil wants the worship. But he wants more that we're not worshiping God. Yeah, these other things can get worshipped, that's fine. But who, who, what's the main point? God doesn't get what he deserves. Yeah, it's a diversion away from the true point of worship. And so, that's what the devil does. Be a servant of mine, Jesus. Why? So that you don't get the worship that you were intended, and neither does the Father. This is huge stuff. And what does Jesus do? He rejects it. And you know what's interesting about that rejection? Because at the end of Matthew, it says, and they worshiped him. Talking about Jesus. He gets the worship. Anyways, he could have had these, these do, small dominions, right? These, these kingdoms of the earth and, and received worship, but it wouldn't be true worship, first off, because he wouldn't be truly God. But then at the end of Revelation, so at the end of Matthew, he gets worshiped, and then after all this happens, at the end of uh, Revelation, guess what? He gets worshiped. And so Jesus rejects it because that's not who he is. He is not a subservient to Satan. He's not subservient to anyone. He is truly what the Father had proclaimed him to be. God, the Son. He is truly the true Messiah that had been prophesied in the Old Testament. This is who Jesus is. And anything else would be a lie. And so Jesus walks in his true who he truly is. That's a huge thing for us to understand because there's, there's this tendency in our culture and in our own lives where we try to make Jesus different. We change who Jesus is. In our culture right now, it's, it's this romanticized Jesus who is okay with everything. He's the pot-smoking hippie on a hill. Like, that's who Jesus is in our society. He's okay with all of it. He's okay with the, um, with the sexuality that's going on. He's okay with the, 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 rap, the horrible things on social media. He's okay with all this stuff, right? That's the Jesus that our culture wants. But that's not who he is. Yet we do the same thing in our personal lives. We treat Jesus as the, the genie messiah. And we'll ask Jesus, hey, Jesus, do this for me. I, I, there are countless stories um, that I've read about, I've encountered in my own life, where I've encountered atheists or agnostics or people are just tired of the church. And I ask them, why did you walk away from the church? Well, I asked God to do something and he didn't do it. Well, that's not, because, because God's not your genie. And that's, but we do it. We get angry at God. We might not walk away from the church. We might not walk away from God. But we harbor 
mistrust of God. God, you didn't fulfill this, so I don't know if I can trust you with this. And even then, we're still misidentifying who Jesus is. And that's a huge thing, because we have to realize that Jesus is who he is, and not what we want him to be. I love this quote, so, and this plays into Isaiah 55. That whole, that, that, that verse where it says, my ways are not your ways. That scripture really puts it into perspective that Jesus is who he is and not who I want him to be because I don't have the full picture. I don't have the full understanding of what's going on. I might, in the short term, I might want that money, but in the long term, I need to walk. That's the reality. And if I'm just focusing on put that money in my cup and that's it, I might miss the greater Messiah. And I love this quote by C.S. Lewis. I've used it before. I just really like it because I think it's hilarious. And this is C.S. Lewis's quote. He says, I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him, about Jesus, okay? And he's talking about a specific thing that people say about Jesus, but I think it's applicable to everything that we've talked about today. He says, I'm ready, so this is what people say, I am ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I do not accept his claim to be God. This is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would be either a lunatic on the level with the man who says he is a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. I mean, think about that. If Jesus is not who he says he is, then he, we've got to walk away from him because he's either a nut job or he's, a, he's the greatest con artist in all of human history. That's what C.S. Lewis is saying. If Jesus isn't truly the Son of God, the Messiah, the one, the God that came down to die on the cross, the righteous, lit, the righteous life that he lived, and everything that he said in there, if that's not who he is, then he is nothing that we should follow. And I like how he keeps going, you must make your choice. This is that who do you say I am passage. We must make our understanding, our choice on who Jesus says he is, not on who I say he is. Okay? Either this man was and is the Son of God, okay? or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord of, and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great te human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. And I would say he did not leave it open for us to be, be his genie, to be subservient to us, to be just worried about the material, to just be this, you know, doing things without regard for what God had already said but rather he is the true Messiah. And we need to worship him with that understanding. 
We need to, you know that word awesome? That's not just a surfer word. God is awe. We are need to be in awe of Him. He is awesome. He's also tubular and cowbunga and all those other words. <laughs> yeah. but, but we need to worship Him as who He is and not as what we desire Him to be. There's a great song from DC Talk uh, back in the 90s that says, He's not a God that I made up. It can't be. Jesus can't be because that's not the God I would make up. I would make up the God that let me win the lotto every single week. I would make up the God that would give me whatever I wanted. That wouldn't allow people to die. That would keep all these things, right? That's the God I would make up, but that's not the God who reveals himself to us. And so my challenge for you this week is to go back through these. Okay, so you have your homework. This is the challenge, right? So the challenge is to go back through these three temptations and simply ask, do I make, and go before God in prayer, okay? So this is directed at God. God, do I make you like that? Do I treat you like I'm just worried about my material possessions and I just come to you when I need something? Do I treat you where I want, like, and this is how I view it as the glorified part. That I want to be, I want to be glorified. Glorify me, God, in front of everyone else. When actually Jesus was very subservient, what's that mean for us? We have to be servants. But do I treat you like I want to be well known? When I was younger, um, as a pastor, I'm like, man, it'd be really cool to be like a real well-known pastor, you know, books and everything. And then one day it clicked in me. God's like, you really want that? You really want to fly everywhere? Do you really want to have all this away from family, away from your friends, away from your church? And then it hit me, no, I don't. So I hope I never get to that point because I think I'd be annoyed by it. But in my sin, I want to be glorified because it's, it's nice. And then the final one, the, the subservient God, do I make you my servant, my, you know, my slave? Do I walk on you? I mean, just, just the idea of worship, right? Like when we come together in our worship time, God, do I worship you as you are deserving? Or do I worship you with this idea that there's something about me that needs to be worshipped too? I have a problem with a lot of um, worship songs that have a lot of I in them. There's, uh, there's some nice songs out there, okay? So if you listen to the Christian radio, there's some nice songs out there. And they're good, like good songs in the sense of they have a good beat, they have good lyrics, you know, they, they rhyme sometimes, and, you know, they go through. But they'll say something on the, on the Christian station like, it's a worship song. And there's one song out there, I can't remember what it is. I know if Mariko was here, she would remind me because it's the one I ruined for her. And it's a really catchy song. You know how many times God is mentioned in it? One time at the end it says king. It doesn't say who that king is, it just says king. And the whole song's about us, 
about me? Do I worship God with a me focus? Or am I his servant? Lifting him up. Now that's okay to say things in our worship. God, you have done great things for me. That's fine, but is our focus on the worship of God or on the worship of self? And so my challenge for you is just go through this week and say, God, do I do that? Take one a day and just say, God, do I do that? God, do I do that? And just ask and seek God in that. Because if we can start doing that, I mean, think about that. That completely will switch our, our focus because then we can start going through the next part. The next part is we start seeing Jesus do the ministry. We start seeing him call his disciples to himself. But his identity has to be solid for us so that we can worship him properly in the way he's called us to do. All right? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for today. Lord, I, I ask as we're, as we're worshiping you now, we're going to worship you in song. We're going to worship you with our, the offering, Lord. Guide and direct us into it all. Bring us to that point where we lift up Jesus as he is meant to be lifted up, as the, the lamb who was slain, as Revelation says. Lord, help us to treat you as you are deserving and glorify you as you are deserving so that all things, everything is given back to you in worship because you are the great God you're awesome. And so, Lord, we, we come before you in our worship to your throne. And I pray for my brothers and sisters, myself this week, that we, that we would see those areas where we misidentify you, where we throw you a different type of person or a different type of Messiah or Savior, and how we try to make you into our own image. Lord, help us to see you as you truly are this week. Move us by your Holy Spirit to do that. And I ask this all in your Son's name. Amen.